Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Man, you guys sounded great this morning. It is a blessing to my heart when I get to stand up here and just stop singing for a moment and just listen to the praises of God's people. I can't tell you what a blessing it is. You're great. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. My name is Ben Lofton, and I have the privilege of being a minister on staff here at New Beginnings, and I'm glad you came this morning. I hope that God has a word uh, for me and for you this morning. I want to say that if you are a first-time guest with us, I want to say welcome we are so glad that you're here. If you did not have an opportunity to stop by one of our guest tents and get the free gift we have for you, make sure before you leave here today that you stop by there and grab that. We have something for you, and we want to have a record of your visit today, and we are grateful that you have chosen to um, <clears throat> worship with us today. Excuse me. So we are in week three of our Breakthrough series, and for those of y'all that didn't know, we are on day 14 <clears throat> of our fast. How many of y'all are aware that you're on day 14 of a fast? Yeah, there's my people. Okay, good. We're all here. Good to know. Good to know. Um, we're a third of the way done. We're moving into the last week of the fast. And I, my prayer and my heart for y'all is that God is speaking to you in a way that he hasn't spoken to you in a long time. That he's revealing to you things in your life that need breakthrough and that he is readying you to provide those very things. And I have to be honest with you, this week has been difficult for me. It's been a struggle. There's been several days where my prayer time turned into wrestling time with God and I wanted to grumble more than I wanted to praise and I wanted to whine and complain more than I wanted to give God honor and seek his face and God reminded me that this is supposed to be difficult because you need me, more of me, not more of you. And during this season of prayer and fasting, we have been praying seven petitions uh, for ourselves and for our church and our community. And one of the ones that we've been praying is that God would send a revival to our church and an awakening to our community, to our state, and to our nation. And as I began to prepare this week, I, I was reminded that revival is one of those words that we use a lot in church. You hear it all the time, right? We talk about revival. We sing about revival. We talk, we, the word comes up a bunch. And I was struck by the fact that the word revival really conjures up a real specific image in my mind. And I'm sure for some of y'all it does the same. And I was, uh, I grew up in Mississippi until I was about 10 years old out in the country. And, uh, I remember with my parents driving through the countryside on a Thursday or a Friday or Saturday night and looking out into a pasture that's out by a little church out in the middle of nowhere and seeing these big white tents, right? Giant white tents filled with people. And you'd get out of your car and you'd walk in, the friendliest people in the world. They were fired up to be there. And there would be a, a, an evangelist standing on the stage just pounding his fist and delivering God's word, calling people to prayer and repentance, calling people to come and know the Lord God and surrender their lives to him. And for the longest time, and even now, if somebody says the word revival, this is what I think of. That image of that white tent pops up in my head. And when a person that is lost surrenders their life to Jesus, we can consider that revival. We can consider it restoration. They are giving a new heart. They are made a new person. But it also began to make me think, what does the word revival mean for the people of God? For the church, for those of us that already belong to the Lord. And as I thought about the word revival, I began to think on the word revive. What does it mean to revive something? 
What does it mean to revive? So I looked it up. They're going to put it on the screen here, and this is one of the definitions of revive. It means to return to life, to recover life or strength, to live anew, and to become reanimated or reinvigorated. If something or someone needs to be revived, it means that it was once alive and is now dead or dying. That's what it means to need to be revived. How many of you guys have watched uh, uh, some form of medical television drama, right? Depending on your age will determine what sort of drama you watch. Some of us watch Grey's Anatomy. Some of us watch ER. Some of us watched MASH. And I'm going to give my age here. I don't know what came before that, but I'm sure some of y'all could tell me. But in all of these things, what inevitably happens is you see a scene in an operating room or an emergency room where somebody comes in and they have had a horrible tragedy. They've had a gunshot wound or they've had a car accident or something terrible has happened. A building's fallen on them and they're dying and there's people scurrying around everywhere and you see paddles being used to jumpstart their heart and medications being given and being bagged and tubed and all this passionate, panicked, frantic action to save the life of that person that has come in. That's what it means to be revived. They're working to revive that person, to breathe life back into that person whose life is fading away. But what does it mean when we say that the church of God needs revival? It means that there are seasons where in our body of believers and in the church of God, what was once alive and vibrant and growing and expanding is dead or dying and it needs immediate and desperate life-saving action. It means it needs revival. It means that it needs to be revived so that the glory of God can be seen and spiritual awakening can come to the culture that exists outside of these walls. You see, revival is for the church. Awakening is for the culture. Christian author Stephen Alford defines revival as this, the sovereign act of God in which he restores his own backsliding people to repentance, faith, and obedience. Revival is for you. Revival is for me. Revival is for us. The spiritual revival that we're going to talk about today is the returning of life to God's people through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. So I'm going to go ahead and get you to grab your Bibles or your device or however you look these things up, and I'm going to turn you to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. That's 2 Chronicles. That's going to be towards the front of the Bible. And we're going to be in chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 14 specifically. When you're there, let me know you're there. All right. This is what the word of the Lord says. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The books of First and Second Chronicles are basically a history of the people of Israel. Much of it is repetitive as what was in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. The stories are the same. But the person that wrote it, they call him the chronicler. And he's chronicling the history of the nation of Israel. And in 2 Chronicles verses or chapters 1 through 6, what we see is we see the chronicle writing about the life of King Solomon. And more specifically, we see him writing about Solomon building the temple in Jerusalem and completing it. Okay? And in, verse, in chapter 6, he has completed it, and he says this long, very detailed prayer to God in dedication of this house of worship and sacrifice. And in chapter 7, verse 12, it's really the beginning of God's response to King Solomon's prayer and dedication. And what we see is that God tells Solomon that this is the place that he chooses where his people can come and make their sacrifice. Now, remember in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament people covenantally were connected to God, but they were under the sacrificial system. And what that meant is in order to receive God's grace, and atone, they had to atone for their sins through physical sacrifice on an altar. And God had chosen this temple that Solomon had completed to be his place where they would do this. The sacrificial system was what allowed God's grace to be extended to his covenant people and for them to flourish under his blessing and presence. And that flourishing was a signal to the rest of the world that these people belonged to God and they walked in his presence and in his favor. When we get to verse 13, God kind of changes a little bit and he says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. This doesn't sound good. But these are specific responses to what Dave, uh, King Solomon had prayed. He had prayed that when God, when you shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or God, when you command the locusts to devour uh, the land. But one thing I found interesting when I went back to chapter 6 and read Solomon's prayer and when I read God's response was the word when. It said when I do this. King Solomon said when you do this. He didn't say if. He knew it was going to happen. Well, how did he know it was going to happen? Well, here's how he knew. Because there was a history that we can look back on, and there is a pattern of behavior in God's people, especially in the Old Testament we can see this. And that pattern goes something like this. God's people would walk in the blessing and favor of God. Then at some point, they would give themselves over to the culture at large, and they would rebel against God and seek the things of the world rather than the thing that God told them to seek. They would be brought under his judgment and punishment. They would have pestilence. They would have drought. They would be exiled from the land that God had given them. They would recognize this punishment. They would cry out to God to save them and forgive them and return his blessing to them, only to find that God would then return his blessing to his people. He would bring revival. He would return his, breath, his presence and his blessing and his favor to his people, and they would then again walk in the blessing and favor of the gods so that the world could see that they were blessed and favored. And this pattern went on and on and on. You see, when the people of God wander from their relationship by their own actions, they cause the blessing of God to be removed, and they forfeit the very presence of the living God, which is theirs by covenant. 
And I will tell you this, that this warning has application for our church today. Try as we might, we will inevitably rebel against God and do things that we should. We will give ourselves over to the culture at large. And when we do, the warning to us is as relevant and real today as it was to the Israelites in 2 Chronicles. One thing about this passage that I think we have to understand before we move forward is, is this particular passage was written to the people of God. Those that were covenantly connected to God. It's written to what we now call the church. 2 Chronicles 7.14, the very first part says, If my people who are called by my name. That includes you and me. As Christ followers, we are people that live under the new covenant created by Christ's blood and sacrifice and atonement for our sin. We don't operate under the Old Testament covenant of the sacrificial system. We operate under the new covenant that was created by Christ. But nonetheless, when it says, if my people who are called by the name, you and I are people that are called by the name of God if you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you walk with him. And if we're called by his name, then we are first and foremost to identify ourselves as the people of God. That's how we should talk about ourselves. That's how we should identify. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. When God spoke in 2 Chronicles, he was speaking to his covenant people. He's speaking to us. He was, it was written for God's people then, and it is applicable to God's people now. And while Israel was a nation, they were more importantly a people, distinct and set apart among the cultures of the world. The message of 2 Chronicles was not a political message. And we have to be very careful when we try to, or if we try to, interpret this message as applying to America or to any other country on the earth. He is speaking to God's people when he says these things. So often I hear these verses quoted when some people, when we, the church, or people talk about wanting God to fix our country, to return us to some moral standard that existed before. They're used in Fourth of July celebrations. They're used at political rallies. Look, I don't want you to get confused here. We should absolutely pray for God to guide and direct our nation and its leaders. We should absolutely go before the throne and pray for an awakening of all people to the glory of God found in his gospel. But the instructions here were not for the nations of the earth. They were for the people of God. They were for you and me. So when we look at the church today and we see unchecked sin, when we see spiritual apathy, or spiritual dryness, and we see that the truth is only really necessary when it's convenient for us or it doesn't cost us anything. When we see that the bending of our convictions or our beliefs to the culture outside of God's church and outside of his commands, when we recognize that the church has become a mirror of the culture rather than a beacon of God's glory to a lost and dying world, we need revival. And when we look at the church today, it's hard to escape that much of this is what we can see. These verses are not just for the nation of Israel. 
These warnings, these remedies that we find in these verses are meant for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. If you belong to the Lord God, this is for you. Now, the good news here is God doesn't just leave his people to try and figure it out. We're terrible at that. So thank God and praise be to him that he tells us exactly what we need to do. In the remainder of verse 14, we're going to look at the prescription God has given his people to invite revival. To invite his presence to dwell once again among his people. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If we believe that revival is needed in the church, if we believe that revival is needed among the people of God, then there are four things that 2 Chronicles tells us that we must do. And the first thing that we must do, the first thing that God tells Solomon is that his people must surrender to him in humility. The phrase humble yourself here is an interesting one the way it's used in this sentence. When I say the word humble or when I talk about humility, I would imagine that most of us conjure up the image or the definition of someone who does not make much of themselves, who thinks less of themselves, who doesn't brag about their accomplishments, who doesn't brag about their circumstances, doesn't brag about their abilities. This is what we define as humility. And yes, that is true. That is humility. But what God is saying here and what he is using, how he is using it here is not necessarily that way. What it means for us as his people is that we should posture ourselves in humility when we approach him. It's a statement of posture. The Hebrew word that he uses for seek my face is kana, K-A-N-A. And it means to bend a knee or to bow. It's a statement of posture. We should really look at this command to humble ourselves as a call for the people of God to completely remove our sense of ego, to completely remove our sense of pride, and to admit and confess to God that we desperately need his presence. And everything in our life is based on complete and utter dependence on God himself. That's what it means to surrender to God in humility. What does utter dependence look like? It's the statement, you are God and I am not. What you want is what I want. Where you go is where I'll go. I am nothing. You are everything. You are God, and I am not. The more we see God rightly for who he is, the more we will see ourselves for who we are. God is the almighty creator of heaven and earth, the perfecter and author of our faith, and we are desperately wicked and broken sinners in need of love and grace from that very same God. Humbling ourselves before him should be the posture of our lives. If God is held high in our lives, if we recognize our condition in relation to his holiness, then humbling ourselves is not something difficult. It becomes the natural response to communing with the holy God. We understand that we have to do this because God is who he is and we are not. You are God and I am not. This is what it means to surrender in humility. And once we have humbled ourselves before God, this allows us 
to be rightly positioned to do what God tells his people to do next, and that's cry out to God in prayer. God commands his people to pray. This is the Lord God speaking to his covenant people, telling them that when they have been removed from fellowship from his presence and out of humility and total need, they need to desperately seek his presence, to pray to him, to ask for his forgiveness and to confess their sin before him. Now look, prayer is absolutely a rhythm you should have that's private and individual. Every one of you in here should have a time of prayer that you, that you seek God and his counsel and his presence on your own. The scripture is full of commands to do this. But I would argue to you, to you today that this command in here is a command to God's people corporately. So when he calls us to pray, he's calling us to pray collectively as the people of God together. In verse 14, he says, if my people who are called by my name, this is a command to a people, not to a person. If my people, God's people. We see other instances in scripture of God commanding his people to pray together. In Ezra 10, we see that the people of God prayed and gathered together to confess their sin and beg God to forgive them. In Nehemiah 9, verses 1 through 38, we see that the, the people of God were clothed in sackcloth and ashes and begging God to return his presence and blessing and favor to them. Because once again, as we said, they had wandered from their God. And if we go to the New Testament, we see the King Jesus teaching his people how to pray. In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and this is one of the, maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible, we see the, the Lord's command on how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, and it says this, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He's teaching his people how to pray to him, not a person. Now, you should, this is the way you should pray to God. But the language in here states that he's talking to a group of people. He's talking to his people. This is how all of us should approach the throne. These commands are all throughout scriptures. And if we want to see a true revival in the church and an awakening come to our culture, then the church must desperately pray as the people of God. Remember, revival for the church, awakening for the culture. Awakening in the culture is always, and I mean always, preceded by revival among the people of God. One does not happen apart from the other one. I've used this quote before, but it's true, and I believe it, that David Platt says that the church is God's chosen vehicle to display his glory on earth. And it is that display of glory that draws people that are far from him to him. And when we are not displaying God's glory, we are not doing that. No revival equals no awakening. If we want revival, then it's our responsibility to intercede before the throne of God on behalf of the lost and dying world and, behalf, and on behalf of ourselves, our church, our brothers, our sisters in Christ, as the people of God, praying for the people of God, seeking God to do what only he can do. Every Wednesday night on this campus and on our Longview campus, hundreds of God's covenant people gather in this room and that room down there to seek the face of God to confess their sin before a holy God, to beg God to pour out his Holy Spirit on the church. And you want to know what he's doing? Exactly what we're asking him to do. We've asked him to heal, and he has healed. 
We've asked him to uncover sin, and he's uncovered sin. We've asked him to repair marriages, and he's repairing marriages. And if we, as the people of God, know that we need revival, and that's what we want, then we have to come together as the people of God and beg God to do that. Prayer is the way that God says to do it. Ian Bounds is an author that's written extensively on prayer, and he says this. He says that part of the blame lies at our door. If we do our part, God will do his. Around us is a world lost and dying in sin, and above us a God willing and able to save. It is ours to build the bridge that links heaven and earth, and prayer is the mighty instrument that does the work. It calls us to pray. The third thing he calls us to do is to pursue him in desperation. The phrase he uses here is seek his face. Now, this word face in the Hebrew language can, can mean just face. It can mean just your face, your physical face. But used in this context, we should more rightly understand it to mean his presence. And he commands us to passionately and desperately and frantically seek and pursue the presence of God. You see, when we pray, that's the what. Seeking his face is the how. We can't just come to God with our arms out saying, God, fix this for me. God, do this for me. God, do that. We can't ask for his blessing apart from his presence. It doesn't work that way. The implication of these prayers will stem from the heart and soul of the people. Seeking the face of the Lord is an express, expression excuse me, of deep inward devotion that shows that what we want is God himself and not just what he can do for us. We as the church must humbly and prayerfully and in complete desperation pursue the very presence of the living God as if it is the greatest desire of our hearts, the thing we need most. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about when I say seek. Many of you in here will remember this. In 2014, Gilmer played a playoff football game in Longview versus the Gladewater Bears, big game. Thousands of people in the stands, 15,000 people in the stands. It was a great game. If you're from Gilmer, it was a good game. If you weren't, sorry about you. <laughs> I was there with my wife, Stacy, my son, Harrison, who at the time would have been uh, nine, and my son, Eli, who was five. Cute, blonde-headed little thing, just happy as he could be, loved people. At the very end of the game, we stopped Gladewater on fourth and one, and Gilmer got the ball, and they drove down the field, and with seconds left on the clock, they scored, and the place erupted. You were cheering and high-fiving and hugging as if the person next to you was related to you, and you had no idea who they were. <laughs> we, were just, we were just basking in the glory of what had just happened. But in all the excitement, my wife began to look around and noticed that my sweet little toe-headed five-year-old had wandered. 8,000 people in these stands going crazy. And I can't find my kid. In that moment, things turned from joy to desperation. And I began to seek his sweet little face. I needed to see him. I needed to hold him. I needed to be near to him. It was the most important thing I could find. The panic, the frantic nature of my soul required me to ask everyone around me, have you seen him? Can you help me? Do you know him? Where is he? Thank God we found him. He's 12 now. He's fine. I just want you to know we didn't lose him. But as the people of God, we need to seek God with that same frantic nature, as if we've lost something that is the most valuable things in our lives, and we have got to find it. 
There is no humbling ourselves. There is no crying out to God. There is no seeking his face if we are not willing to seek. David in Psalm 42, 1 through 2 said this, As deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Like the water that keeps us alive, we need to seek the face of God. The fourth thing that tells us, God tells us is necessary to return his presence and blessing to his people is that we must return to God in repentance. Verse 14 says that God's people should turn from their wicked ways. This demonstration of our humble surrender and passionate prayer and desperate pursuit has got to show up in our actions. What we do matters. We can't humble ourselves. We can't pray to God. We can't seek his face if we don't change our actions. If we don't turn from our sin and turn towards God and his commands in repentance and acknowledgement that we have done it. We write songs about this. Come Thou Fount, one of the most famous hymns there is, says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. It's our condition. The sin in our hearts causes us to wander from the things of God and allows our hearts to be captured by the things of the world and of the culture. And when we do that, the way back is repentance. Our lives as the people of God should be marked by repentance and our actions must bear out the words of our mouths, otherwise they don't mean anything. How many of you got kids in here and you tell your child, do not do that, and they look at you and they say, daddy, I'm sorry, or mama, I'm so sorry, only to do the same thing 45 seconds later. This is us. We repent of sin, we tell, we, we tell God we're to forgive us, we tell him what's wrong, we beg him, and then we keep doing the same stuff. We need to turn and return to God in repentance. Words and action means it means something. Words without actions means it means nothing. Those are the four remedies that God gives us when he removes it. But thankfully, if you're in Christ, then you serve a God who desires relationship with you. God does not want to withhold his blessing and favor from his people. He desires desperately to pour out his mercy and grace on us. He wants this. Look at what God says at the end of verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God says, then I will do three things. I will hear from heaven. Think about this for just a second. From the throne of mercy in heaven, the Lord God creator, when you pray, he hears you. He hears the desperate pleas of his people. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13 says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He hears the second thing God says he'll do is he will forgive us. The best news for any of us in this room is to be the people of God, repenting of sin and asking for forgiveness is to be forgiven. God doesn't say, let me see how you work it out later. God doesn't say, let me get back to you, I'll think about it. God doesn't withhold it. If we belong to God and we humbly present ourselves, we pray, we seek his face, we turn to repentance, we are forgiven. 
In case you didn't know it, that's good news. I know it's good news for me. I don't know about y'all. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives us. And the last thing God says he'll do is he'll heal our land. When you hear this for us today, it should symbolize the flourishing of God's people. Remember, this is the signal to the world that we're walking in the blessing and favor of God when we flourish, when God pours out his flourishing mercy and grace on us. The return of the blessing of God to his people, God's mercy poured out on his church. When we do those four things, God says, I will hear you from heaven, I will forgive your sins, and I will will heal your land. If you want revival, God says, I will give it to you if you only do what I ask you to do. Think about that. I wake up many mornings recognizing that the very, the foundation of my life, which is forgiveness that God offers his people, that I shamed mercilessly the day before. And God still extends his forgiveness and mercy and grace to me. Jesus Christ on the cross went up there knowing that I would shame his sacrifice and willingly did it anyway. God, let us never get over that. He will hear us from heaven. He will forgive us. And he will heal our land. So maybe you look up at me and you say, Ben, I don't know what it looks like to need revival. Or I think other people need revival, but not me. So I'm glad you're telling me so I can tell my friends. Well, let me share this with you. When do we need revival? What about when I don't sense God's power and presence in my life? What about when I am no longer moved with excitement when God works in power? What about when God's kingdom is no longer a priority in my life? When I'm consumed with myself and my personal desires, with gathering with his people seems like more of a duty than it does a joy, we need revival. If you look at your life and your personal prayer life is irregular and shallow and with praying with God's people is not a desire or a priority, we need revival. When I'm comfortable with sin and unwilling to be transparent about it, and when I delight in the things that God despises, we need revival. God help us when God's word is not meaningful to us. Or when I cannot remember the last time I shared the gospel with someone. Or when I don't love Jesus the way I once did. We need revival. This is a problem we can't fix on our own. We can wander the world out from under the blessing and favor of God, or we can choose to honor his commands, to seek his face, to pray, to humble ourselves before his mighty power, and to repent and return to him, and he will do what he says he good. Second Timothy, God says that, it says that God is faithful even when we are faithless because he cannot deny himself. If God says he's gonna do it, he does it because he can't not. It's not something he does. It's the very character of God to be faithful and just and righteous and gracious and merciful. And he wants to do all of that for you if you will just 
cry out and admit where you are. So as we finish up today, the invitation is twofold. First is this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the only way to ever experience his blessing and favor is to surrender your life to the one who offers the forgiveness that we've talked about today. If you're in here today and you don't know the Lord, I'm I'm begging you, don't leave here the way you walked in. Become a person of God. Become a member of the church of God. Know what it's like to experience his blessing and his favor. In a minute, we're gonna have people down front here and you can come down and you can talk to them and they will share with you the greatest news you've ever heard. I promise. Your life will never be the same. But for us that belong to God, for the church, the people of God, if you haven't heard me say it enough this morning, we need revival. If we wanna see Jesus Christ use New Beginnings Baptist Church to change Gilmer, to change Upshur County, to go to the ends of the earth, we need to start right here in this room with us. Last week and on Wednesday nights, we have out what we call E320 cards. These cards are based on the Ephesians 320. You know why it says that? Because we, we serve a God who can do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So if you're in this place today and you have something you want God to do, if you're still seeking your breakthrough, I'm gonna ask you if you're a people of God to not care what other people think, to acknowledge that we're in a place that we need God's presence and we need revival. Come up front, write it down on these cards, put it in these baskets, and when you do, the people of God will pray for the very same thing with you. There is a special power that exists when the people of God intercede before the throne of grace together for the same thing. If you came in here carrying a burden, if you came in here carrying a concern or the cares of the world or beating you to your knees, come up here and confess that to God. If you've put the things of, God, the, things of the world before the things of God, come up here and confess it to God. Allow his grace to heal those wounds. Repent of your sin and turn back to God and let him forgive you and heal your land. There is no need to wait till you get home. There is no need to worry about what the person beside you thinks because I'm gonna tell you right now, they're in the same boat you are. I know we wanna sit there and we wanna rationalize when he says, turn from your wicked ways. Ben, I'm not wicked. Okay, fair enough. Let me go ahead and help you with a little adjustment here. Yeah, you are. I am, you are, we all are, because God's holy and we're not. And the only way we find victory, the only way we find revival is by admitting that to God, confessing it, repenting it, and begging him to pour out his presence on his people. We need revival. I'm gonna get you to stand up. We're gonna worship in a moment. And here's my ask, if you need revival, come down here and ask God to give it to you. If you want your church to find revival, come down here and ask God to give it to you. If you need Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, come down here and find him today.